Okay, welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll. I am Ross Tickner. Uh, I'm Rebecca Kroll. And uh, this is, I guess, our first episode. It is. So we're going to do kind of an introduction, uh, get people to know us who maybe don't know us from anywhere else except for this podcast, who are stumbling across it for the first time. So my name is Ross Tickner. I am Rebecca Kroll's son. Uh, I I do a little bit of audio production work. um, And so at some point I said, hey, mom, how would you like to do a podcast? And I said, yeah. So so you are listening to the fruits of that conversation that we had. Um, So let's talk a little bit about who you are and how you came to be where you are now. Okay. Where should we start? Let's let's start with with who you are, what kind of work you do. Okay. Well, um, I am a professional artist. I've been painting for a long time, and I have um, a studio practice as well as I exhibit in galleries and I teach workshops. And my my main um, medium is oil paint mixed with cold wax medium, and that's kind of. Uh, been the focus of a lot of my work and and a, a book that I've written along with Jerry McLaughlin. And so that's the current story, but there's been a lot of other sure. paths along the way. <laughs> so how long have you been working with cold wax medium and doing kind of your current style? Well, I first started with cold wax medium uh, around 2001. I think it was the winter of 0102. And there was a long evolution there with developing techniques and learning how to use it. And I guess that was, that's the roots of my current style. Although of course things change over time. Sure. So you have uh, an art degree. I do. I have two of them actually. (laughs) I got a a bachelor of fine arts in painting in 1982 from the university of Wisconsin in Eau Claire. And then I got a Master of Fine Arts in Painting from Arizona State University in 1985. Okay. And what kind of work were you doing when you were in school? Well, um, as an undergraduate, I started out as a printmaking major. And I think that I was, I really loved the the graphic look of prints, of, of uh, original prints, lithography, etching, and it turned out to be a little too meticulous for my nature, so I did turn to painting before I left undergraduate school. And, you know, as a student, you do all, all kinds of different things. But I did a very realistic work based on natural objects like insects and shells and a little foray into abstraction where I was kind of fragmenting uh bits and pieces of those objects. And then when I went on to graduate school, I really wanted to learn more about abstraction. And there was a sort of a surrealistic period there. And um, So what were your influences during that time as you were first discovering abstraction? Um, actually, what I remember in undergraduate school was being interested in Georgia O'Keeffe. And many people probably wouldn't think of her as an abstract artist necessarily, but the way that she would simplify forms and also use them in sort of an iconic or symbolic way was interesting to me. And um, I also, I don't know, there were a lot of different people that I saw. I remember being interested in William Wiley, a California artist whose work is very personal and um, iconographic and abstract in a way. He uses recognizable images, but they're in an abstract format. So in graduate school, um, I can't remember 
I was just a stream of things that I was coming across. And I just, I was rather lost for a while, as a lot of grad students are, and gradually kind of coming into a style of invented forms and overlapping forms and shapes. Sure. And and as time goes on, I, I, I know that things like uh, landscapes became they more did. of an impact on your on your development on your absolutely yeah and I I'd always been interested in landscape I mean that's that was very very early interest I used to draw in pen and ink when I was in high school and it continued on it's always been there and so in graduate school I was drawing on the landscape of the of the surrounding desert that's around um Tempe where I went to school in Arizona. Then Could that I, be where the where the Georgia O'Keeffe influence kind of began with her desert no, landscapes? No, that was actually or? in undergraduate school. Okay. I was aware of her, but I think one of the reasons I wanted to go to the Southwest was to experience that kind of stark uh, landscape. And when I got back to Wisconsin after graduate school, I was uh, really influenced by just the home landscape here and uh, we live in rural Wisconsin, so we have trees and woods and it's very very pretty around here and so I did start to do some fairly representational landscapes then things with prominent horizon lines oh, yeah. and the trees and I mean it, they weren't done it wasn't plein air painting I wasn't painting outside but they I was painting from impressions like just out walking or driving and I would see a particular type of color or uh, arrangement of trees and whatnot and I would just come back and and interpret that so they were they were painterly and somewhat soft and impressionistic works were you taking a lot of photographs at the time or um not really more just kind of going out and experiencing things and then bringing that's that right, yeah. those impressions and, back into the studio I mean, that's even in my current work I work a lot from memory of places so that that was the process then I would just I think there's a distillation that happens when you experience something, look at it, you feel moved by it somehow, and then uh, you carry that impression and that memory back into the studio. Sure, sure. Uh, so this shift from abstract to realism, that was something that happened during your undergrad or your graduate <laughs> school? It was something that took many years, actually. Okay. I think I was first aware of the idea that I wanted to make my work more abstract when I was in undergraduate school, but I didn't have any direction. I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I uh, actually, years later, I found a note in, um, in a sketchbook that I wrote to myself before I went to grad school. And it said something like, I really want my work to become more abstract, but I have no idea how to do that. Really? <laughs> so, so this I, desire for abstraction goes goes way, oh, way, way back. Way back, yeah. Yeah, so Absolutely. the realism was more about developing techniques and skill. Yeah, I think so. But and there was, was always a drive towards abstraction. There was, but for a long time, the abstraction did not feel as personal to me, mm -hmm. which is... Um, well, there's a struggle in abstraction in, in making it relevant. Right, right. That's exactly it. And I I did some work um, continually from grad school on that was abstract. It contained personal symbols and imagery. Um, and I was trying to develop some type of abstract language, but it was, a, you know, felt more sort of intellectual exercise. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't quite get a grip on it. Although, you know, I look back, I, I like some of the work. 
and then it started to come together where I was using uh, colors and textures from the landscape, but they were uh, also containing some symbols and um, you know there was a, there was a coming together of the two threads, but that took a long time. Sure. And so even at the time when I was doing the what I called later the poetic landscapes, the, yes, the ones from Wisconsin here, uh, you know I. I was emotionally involved with that work, but I knew that it wasn't quite personal enough in another way. It wasn't sure. individualized enough for me. What about the work you did while you were pregnant? Well, that was an interesting phase because um, it, it was right on the heels of graduate school. So when we returned from Arizona is when we started the family. And so it was, it was an interesting time in my life because... Um, you know, I definitely wanted to to keep my work going, and that was a challenge. So while I was pregnant, actually, I I worked in acrylic for the first time because I wanted you didn't to, want the toxicity, right? I wanted to avoid that, and um, so then um, I when after Ben was born, um, your brother, and then when you were born, and I had two little kids at home, my media shifted a little bit to things that were more easily put down and picked up again. So I was working in charcoal and pastel drawing. And I did I did come into an abstract vocabulary that I was happy with, which had to do with images of growth and um, containment. Mm-hmm. Womb-like imagery. Womb-like images, birth canal images, um, and the idea of shapes within shapes. And I think that had actually started beforehand, but it it suddenly made sense in terms of abstraction to have a contained shapes within a larger shape as as when pregnant. So it was interesting too, because i I felt like I was making progress with that, but somehow it sort of died out for a while, too. And I think it's because the media that I was using was kind of awkward, big charcoal and pastel drawings that. I didn't really know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You have to frame them or do something with them. But I think it was a really important part of the process. Sure. So when did this this shift back to oils and and more of um, more landscape type type imagery was that more in the past twenty years or so? Or right. Well, um, the the lit, more literal landscapes were. In the you know after I got back from grad school to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. so that would be so that would be in between school and and right, when late eighties, nineties. Mm-hmm. At the same time, doing some of this other work, so there were sure. these two threads going at once for quite a long time. The more abstract and the more literal, and then they, and then there must have been kind of a, a point at which they merged. They then. did merge, and that was um, I can point to a time around my first artist residency in two thousand and one where the two threads started to come together. And I think what I realized, what what made that work was that I could look at the landscape in a more abstracted way. Sure. In other words, not a vista, not a scene, not a horizon line, but looking closer at the, the small aspects of landscape that give it a distinct character. And there was some essence there. So but, do you think that that was a, an impact that your beginning kind of travel and workshop experiences had on your work? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Tell us about that first that first trip abroad. Okay. So this was um, uh, 2001. And you guys were 
Um, I think you were like 11 and 14 or something. Yeah. So sounds if, about right. If to the me. math adds up there. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, you were you were in middle school basically, and um, I was uh, contacted by this artist, a director of an artist residency that is located uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains outside of. Barcelona. In English, it's called the Center for Art and Nature. I won't attempt to say it in Catalan because my thank you my <laughs> my pronunciation <laughs> is very bad. But anyway, uh, they had seen my work somewhere in a magazine and asked me to apply. So I did, and I. It really thought of it as kind of a lark to just apply to this thing. Even though they're the ones who contacted you. <laughs> I know, I know. It didn't no. occur to you that they actually really wanted you to be there. <laughs> Somehow, no. <laughs> um, so I, I sent them slides in those days, you know, and then I get this letter back saying, we're expecting you. And I must have said, oh, September would be a good time. So they wrote back and said, I mean, literally, this is snail mail because this was early days before yeah. email and whatnot. So yeah, I'm remembering this as, as kind of like the email existed, but it did, but it, an instant messenger, but it wasn't something that people used quite the way that they do now. No, not I, at all. And we had dial up then. So yes, it was, very it was like take a magazine and go and exactly. listen to the modem screech at you. And <laughs> so they sent me a snail mail letter saying we're expecting you in September. And they gave me dates. They also sent along a like a mimeographed sheet of directions on how to get there. So, <laughs> so I remember opening this letter up and Ben was there when I opened it and I looked at it and I said, oh, you know, this is kind of ridiculous. I can't do this. And I remember he looked at me and he said, mom, you have to do it. Yeah. And the support I got from, you know, you guys and, and from Don was just so, so great. I mean, I yeah. thought, okay, I think I can do this. I remember how scary it was for us as a family, but it was something that we all were kind of yeah. united in that, no, mom really needs to do this. She <laughs> well, I think I'm extremely fortunate in my, my family because, uh, you know, often I, I do hear from people that, you know, think about artist residencies, but they think, oh, I cannot leave you know, my kids are at home or whatever it is. And, and, the, and they're legitimate reasons. But I was fortunate to, to have that backing. So I went and um, it was an amazing adventure. Um, it was my first time in Europe and my first time traveling alone anywhere, I think, um, since maybe very early on I did some travel. Sure. But and I'm, listeners might have pieced together by now that September of 2001 was a problematic time to be out of the country. Yeah, it was. So I think I arrived on September 7th. So I remember the the whole unfolding of of the the way that I learned about what was happening on September 11th and my response to it and I think maybe a topic for another podcast. Yeah, it's something that we could go into a lot of depth on, and it's yeah. not really something that I, I wanted to touch on it because right. it, it was it, it was such a big impact on right. on everyone. Right, and and that um, there was an impact on my work, and that that did lead to some changes in my work. Yeah, and it, it I I often say I needed to be I needed some way to ground myself when this news unfolded mm -hmm. and the way that I grounded myself was literally looking at the ground, which I realized kind of later when I looked back. So I looked down at my feet and I saw, I saw the arid landscape under my feet of the place I was staying. And it started to appear in my work as 
a much more abstracted context for landscape in that there was no horizon line. It was mm-hmm. just about the colors and textures that I could see up close. So that was a, you know, that was a turning point. Um, and then my work developed after that as a more personal direction. And I, uh, that winter after I got back was when I started using cold wax. And I just was um, in my favorite art supply store in St. Paul, Minnesota, wet paint. And one of the salespeople there said, hey, have you ever tried this stuff? And I said, no, it's that. And he said, well, I don't know. Take it and play around with it. <laughs> no, I mean, he said a little more than that. But you mix it with your oil paint, he says, or something. Yeah. I said, oh, okay. Well, that sounds interesting. And it came at the right time because I was really interested in color and texture. And this this stuff, this cold wax, is very has a very interesting um, uh substance to it i mean it, it yeah it has, has interesting qualities in in the yeah. way it affects drying time and the uh, uh the translucency mm-hmm. of the of the paint and the depth it gives to a painting and and the, and the body that it gives the oil yes. paint which tends to be rather slippery out of the tube so mm-hmm. so i started to play around with the wax and gradually gradually over a number of years uh developed techniques for for layering it for digging into it for removing it with solvents and adding textures and all that stuff. And I just considered it a painting medium for a long time. I, I certainly didn't shine the light on it that is now being done, but uh, it was important to me. And so that led to some different kind of work that was very color field oriented. Mm-hmm. And then in order to make those kind of panels of color and texture work I started bolting them together and making these kind of geometric works sure and that period lasted a long time and then I gradually I worked into being more interested in focusing on shape and composition within the picture plane so as you as you develop the techniques for working with this new medium uh, the 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 kind of the shortcut you took in in bolting things together in order to create division and and right uh, within your work was no longer necessary. That's right. And yeah. so now you're working on yeah larger single panel pieces and right. And the you know I don't know it was I guess a shortcut, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a solution to a problem that I worked with for a long time, mm-hmm. and I did develop it in using panels of different proportions and different arrangements. So at first they were quite simple. I would just bolt together a bunch of, say, 12 by 12 inch panels in a fairly regular pattern. Yeah, I remember you were doing columns. And- yeah, so when I look back and I see, well, that was okay for a while. And then gradually the I wanted more of a rhythm to it. I wanted different formats. So I did these, like you say, these column paintings that were like seven feet high and mm-hmm. a foot wide, you know. <laughs> and you were, do like three of them. and Yeah, they do series of them. Mm-hmm. And um, I eventually painted about 30 of those. So for a long time, I was very intrigued by this idea of piecing together panels. And then, you know, you move on. Sure. It just became something that I did think was just a shortcut or a crutch at that point when... Well, okay. it's a good way when you're kind of developing your the, the, the means to control a new medium. You know, to try and and figure out a way that you can... It's kind of like uh, working with collage or... Well, I always thought of it that way. I did. Like, 
I'd have all these different panels painted, and then how well, how can I put them together? What's the most interesting thing I can do with these panels? Because I would paint them individually, mm-hmm. and then put them together. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a good phase. It lasted a long time. So and this that, that is when I became, you know, started working with galleries. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. This seems like kind of the time when you started getting into more galleries and yeah, started developing more professionally and yeah, selling yeah. more work. Yeah, they they were. They were good paintings. I mean, I look back at them fondly. And they, yeah. They, uh, I did well with them for a long time. So uh, tell us about your kind of beginning experiences with working with galleries. Well, the very first gallery that I was with was a gallery in Chicago that did not last very long. They, It was a startup business that the person who started it I think she was in love with the idea of having a gallery, but she didn't really understand the business end of it. And, But my story of joining it was pretty funny because I had a portfolio of stuff that I'd done in grad school, and literally a portfolio with some drawings and things in it. And I was just walking around in the um, River North District in Chicago and going in and talking to galleries. I mean, it's all this stuff that you're not really supposed to do, <laughs> but... But uh, you know, cold calls with your portfolio. Well, there is something powerful about having a personal connection with somebody and just showing yeah. up and shaking their hand That's and looking right. them in the eye. And I guess I didn't. I didn't know any better. But you're right. In that case, it worked. And it was actually this is the funny part. The very first gallery that I walked into, <laughs> and the owner said, "Oh well, let's see what you got." And I put this stuff out, and she said she loved it. You know, and and. She said, "Well, let's let's just get you signed up right here." <laughs> it was really a funny story later because, uh, so a friend of mine that was with me um, was she was waiting for me at the at the tavern on the corner, and I when I came back in, she said, "Well, how'd it go?" I said, "Well, that was easy, you know." I got it. <laughs> <laughs> this thing that everybody struggles with, like somehow. Why, why is this such a big yeah. deal? <laughs> so, but of course, oh then. It proceeded to having a show where she way, way overpriced my work. I mean, she was asking like $10,000 for this person who's just come out of graduate school. And she was, whenever I would deliver work, she and she didn't really sell much at all. I mean, I think she sold a few little ones. But when I would get together with her, she'd take me out for these fancy lunches. And she had French champagne at my opening. And I mean, honestly, I, I walked into this... A fairy tale situation where I was being wined and dined and you know I thought oh well this is very nice you know I guess no problem sure but well, much more concerned with putting on the image of a oh, gallery yeah, exactly. than actually running it like a business so, what, so the end of this well I think we can see that it lasted about <laughs> I don't know what four or five months or something and then she went out of business and I was back thinking oh okay so I got to do this again now and all of a sudden oh Hmm. Actually, it doesn't always work out so well. <laughs> like, like, really, it's a lot of work to get a gallery. <laughs> so, um, I really struggled for a while. You know, I I finally, years after that, probably five years later, I was about to give up. Honestly, I was going to sell my art supplies. I was going to just toss it in, and there was a show um, an exhibit, a regional exhibit in Eau Claire, which is the nearest town to here. Um, and it's still going on every year, uh, Arts West. And so um, 
I thought, well, okay, I'll just put a couple pieces in there and see what happens. It's kind of like my last effort. And it turned out that that was a turning point because the juror of the show owned a gallery in St. Paul, and that was um, Suzanne Cohn Gallery, which is now out of business for her health reasons. She had to retire but she was not because of ten thousand dollars of worth <laughs> no, of champagne no, she was a very, opening. <laughs> she was a very responsible and good gallery owner. Yeah, and she was asked to jury this show, so she picked my work for best of show, which was great. She bought one of my pieces and she invited me into her gallery all in one fell swoop you know at the opening basically that must have been such an ego boost when you're <laughs> when you're kind of at the end of your rope and then not only do you you know get best in show in this in this jurd show uh but the juror actually buys one of your paintings and yes. and wants to do business with you i mean it was astonishing but i like the story because i know people i know so many artists that go through times of discouragement and mm -hmm. There are things that can happen that change everything. And, you know, I you have to make them happen. You can't just wait to be discovered in a very passive way. But at the same time, you know, I guess my lesson out of it was don't give up because I was pretty close to that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I showed with Suzanne Cohn for a number of years and she did very well for me. And then transitioned into Circa Gallery in Minneapolis for a while. And, you know, things just kind of unfolded from there. I started to find more places. And um, I I made a connection in Santa Fe, which was a big break for me, too. And that gallery also eventually went out of business. But for about six years, they were really, really selling a lot of my work. Yeah. So how, how did you, uh, how does that work when you're dealing with multiple galleries? Um, well, it can really, really be challenging because they, I always try to, I always try to work with each gallery as if they're important. They are, every one of them. So I don't want to just say, oh, sorry, can't do that or whatever. I mean, I, I really make an effort to, to come through for them. So I find myself in situations of needing to produce paintings in a rather short amount of time for this and that. And I've gotten pretty good at, at that, at handling that, handling the pressure of that. There was a time when I would get very upset about um, having to, I hate the expression crank out paintings because I feel like I never just crank them out. But but there is a pressure to a pressure to, to produce to, on a time schedule, right? To complete something and say mm -hmm. it's done, and I'm sending it to you now. <laughs> and um, there's pressure from uh, commission work, which is always on a schedule of some type, and with some large expectations about what you're going to produce. <laughs> sure, and it's difficult when you're a creative person, and and things don't necessarily happen on a on a time schedule, right? But I think. I think that's what I'm saying. Like over the years, I've I've learned to somehow trust that I will come through. That I just have to put in the time. I'll get it done, and I can. I think I do some good work under pressure. Actually, well, you work tremendously hard. You put in very long days. True, you know, too. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I mean, there's a lot to to juggle because of teaching and 
travel and all the other things. <laughs> sure. So how do you think that the, the teaching and the travel, uh, do you feel that, that they expanded your gallery reach or your gallery reach expanded your travel opportunities or a little of both? Mm, I, I think they all work together. I think, I think the teaching and the gallery uh, connection is not terribly strong except for there's a couple of galleries that were recommended to me by my students or they the, perhaps some connection where I could get an introduction or something. Sure. Well, I know that you met your, your agent overseas at, at a workshop. Uh, that's that's true, yeah. <laughs> so I work with a, a man, uh, he's actually a Scottish origin, but he was living in Northern Ireland when he contacted me in 2010 and he I had started teaching then and he told me that he wanted to do a workshop with me and that he couldn't travel to the U.S. at that time. We talked about that a little bit. And then he said that he and his wife had um, vacation villas on one of the Canary Islands. And would I like to come down and do a private workshop there? <laughs> so uh, I, so Don and I did that. And we went, I mean, it was quite strange. I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> well... What do I have to lose, really? You know, so we went down and had a really wonderful time. And I, you know, we Alan and I painted in the mornings, and then in the afternoon, the four of us would travel around and see things and enjoy the island. And I didn't know that he was thinking about representing me at that point, but I th think he wanted to meet me and get to know me. So um, later, a few months later, he. I thought he only represented Irish artists, but he he contacted me and said he would like to represent me. And what that really means is that he uh, he promotes me to different galleries, and he also works as a go-between with the gallery that I have in Ireland that he helped get me he got me into. So it's a nice thing because I don't I don't have to negotiate directly with the gallery. I just do the work, and he tells me what's needed, et cetera. Sure. So he's he's really done wonderful things with me and I appreciate that a lot. And so. he also he also brought you to Ireland for your first workshop in Ireland, correct? Um yes, he he wanted to represent me in Ireland and he told me that if that were to be the case that I needed to spend some time in Ireland. Like I couldn't just come onto the Irish art scene and never having set foot in Ireland. Sure. And it's that way with a lot of kind of regional art scenes. <laughs> True. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Irish um, art collectors are rightly very proud of their own country and their own people. So there was a little bit of a barrier to overcome there. So I said, oh, okay, well, I'll look into doing an artist residency there. And the first one I went to in Ireland was started by the same person who had started the one in Spain. So there was a connection there, and I knew about this place. So it, it was the Tyrone Guthrie Center, and it is located uh, north of Dublin a couple of hours, up, up near the border with Northern Ireland. It's a beautiful old estate in a very bucolic and lovely part of Ireland, and that was my first time there. And it's also an area of archaeological sites, um, <clears throat> including Newgrange, which is a very famous archaeological site. And so that was kind of my interest while I was there, was, was seeing those places, and because I've always had an interest in archaeology. So 
but I was pretty hooked on Ireland after that. I, yeah, I just I can loved, imagine. <laughs> I, just, I love the people and I love the culture, and right away just very intrigued by it. So um, the following year, I applied for a residency in County Kerry, which is in the west of Ireland, and I discovered a new part of Ireland that I now absolutely love and go to every year, and. The first one, as I said, was in County Kerry. It was called the Kilraelig Project. And I went with my friend Janice Mason-Steves. And it was it's a very remote part of Ireland. It's very rugged. The little stone cottages right on the sea. We were there in late fall. It was wild weather, cold. Uh, what a place. You know, it's it's very atmospheric and probably haunted. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we really enjoyed it. We had to drive there. Jan did most of that, but uh, I, I'm terrible at driving on the left side. So um, anyway, well, there is a sense in in Ireland and in the UK um, that, that there's a sense of of age of oh everything. Everything oh, feels so old. It does, and I think you know that really impacted me. And All of those weathered textures. Oh, and yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, Ireland is just, the culture is just so fascinating. And the legends and all the stories and things. It's just, it's a beautiful environment. Uh, that time when I was there with Jan, we were talking to a friend of hers, Mary Megan, who's an uh, expert in Celtic spirituality. And I remember I was talking to her about that people were speaking very freely about ghosts and fairies and things. Sure. And I said, I said, yeah, we don't really do that in America. <laughs> like we're sort of circumspect if we uh, have a supernatural interest. And she said, ah, oh, but in Ireland, the veil is very thin here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, even when I say that right now, I get shivers down my spine. Yeah. So. And, you know, she meant the, of course, she meant the veil of between the worlds, but it's also an atmospheric veil that was visible. That was the, the weather and the, mm-hmm. the fog and everything. Yeah. A very kind of mystical atmosphere with, with the kind of mists. And- yeah. It was amazing. And so that... That time in Kerry, I, I started a series called the Veil Series, and that went on for quite a while, and there's sort of very atmospheric paintings. So the next year, I wanted to go back to the west of Ireland, and I had applied to the Bowen Glen Arts Foundation, which is in Ballycastle, which is in County Mayo, another rugged, wild, remote part of Ireland. And so... I had a fellowship there the first time, so I had six weeks there to paint, and I proposed the idea of doing a workshop there because although the fellowship covers lots of things, it does not cover your airfare, <laughs> and I, I thought, well, it'd, it'd be nice to raise a little money, pay for my time, and so I uh, I proposed the idea of a workshop, and they, they were happy to do it, and so I, I ran a one-week workshop the first time, and it was very successful, and it was so fun to to explore the countryside with the students and to see their response to being there. And then that's evolved, and I go back every year now and usually teach two classes. So, so teaching workshops has enabled the travel, which has made your work more powerful and meaningful. It, and- it all works together. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've I've done residencies as well, uh, other than. 
these. I mean, I, I started with a two in Spain. I did one in Sweden with Janice Mason Steves, and we taught a workshop there as well. That was in 2015. And then um, the, all the ones in Ireland have been impactful. So the travel has really happened mostly since in the past 10 years. I know that there was a gap between yeah. 2001 and yeah, 2007, the first time I went, 2008. Resumed it, I resumed the residencies in 2008. I went yeah. back to the same place in Once Spain. the kids were out of the house. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> so then I, and I also wanted to go back to the same place because of the, you know, how disturbing it was the first time I was there. So I went back the second time and had a different experience. And then after that came Ireland and... um Sweden. And I was in New Zealand this past winter. That was a teaching opportunity with Callaway Mountain Arts. And, and Jerry McLaughlin, my co-author on the book, was with me. And we taught together two classes there and got some time to explore the amazing landscape of the North Island, the black beaches and strange cliff formations. And it was wonderful. So that that's also fed into my work. Sure. So at the time of this recording, you're actually kind of in between trips. You just got back from <laughs> Italy and Croatia. I did. <laughs> and and now you're leaving again for Ireland in... Uh, less than two weeks. Less yeah. than two weeks, yeah. yes. And, and and in the meantime, you have another another trip <laughs> yes. within the United States. Yes, I'm going down to Chicago in a few days to um, work with Jeffrey Hurst about on some printmaking ideas. Yes, and hopefully we can do a little bonus episode of a conversation with yeah, Jeffrey. Yeah, We're I'm hoping gonna, to work something out with I'm him. I'm going to talk to him while I'm there. Yeah. Good. So tell us about this last trip to, to Italy. Well, it started out as a vacation, and although I do travel a lot, taking doing travel just for fun and leisure is not something that has happened very often. No. So. <laughs> And so the last time I think was when Don and I went to um, uh, England, and that was to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. That was, I don't know, 2001, I guess. So, and people often say, "Well, why doesn't your husband travel with you?" And he he does. Actually, we went to to Ireland also. My first time there in 2011. Yeah, and the Canary Islands. And yeah. Well, I was working. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I have to say, most of the time they in effect, our business trips. And, mm -hmm. you know, what would he do? He'd be kind of bored, really. Well, he plays disc golf. So. Right. Where would he play disc golf? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I don't know. So, so, but we've, you know, we we definitely take smaller trips, but we thought, well, it's time for a bigger vacation. So we decided to spend a little over a week traveling before my workshops, which were up near in, in the Lake Como area. I taught two workshops. So we, we headed over to, uh, we flew in and out of Florence, and at the last minute, almost, we decided that instead of traveling around Italy, for the most part, that we would go to Croatia. And that just sort of appeared as a interesting idea. And it's drivable. Yeah. I think that I think that Dad was listening to public radio or something. Right. And he heard Here's something about, about it and how great it is as a vacation spot. Right. And um and Jerry was um there when we were talking about it because well he was here at the house because we were teaching two workshops at my studio this was in may and he knew some people that had just spent time there and so there was something so exotic sounding about it so yeah. we started looking into it and getting excited about it and planned it was only four nights but we saw a bit of the country we started um in one of the towns on the adriatic sea and then we went up to zagreb 
and then on to Verstein, where Don became a disc golf hero. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then we came back through, uh, we drove back all the way to Florence, um, and then we had several days there, and we took a little day trip into Tuscany uh, to see some vineyards and things. So it was really, really fun. We just had a great time. And then um, I went up to, to Drezzo near Lake Como to right. teach. And got to work. <laughs> yeah, so it's time to work. <laughs> time to buckle down and get some stuff done. Exactly. <laughs> we had no fun whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did how did going on a little vacation before getting down to work, so to speak, how did that really affect your experience as compared to other travel that well, you've done? I think it was very relaxing, and and I also got, of course, my art brain is always turned on. So when I was in. Um, Florence, and I was with my friend Allison Cook, who goes to Florence every summer. So she and her husband... She knew all the good spots. and She did. And uh, she and her husband were there. And, you know, we had said, we, we don't really want to get involved in great big lines to see things. I mean, of course, I would love to see the David and the Uffizi, but it's just, we only had a few days and it was really sure. super hot. <laughs> so we said, Allison, show us some some of the out-of-the-way places that you'd like. And so we went to several um, places, San Marco, we went to um, Santa Novella uh, and Maria, and just mainly looked at old frescoes. And, yeah. And it was so, just those weathered surfaces and the colors and the antiquity of those, they have always influenced Allison's work. And when I saw them, they they crept into mine as well. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, I guess the classical influence is not so apparent in your work, but the no, but that the, the weathered textures and right the the ancient surfaces, whether it's something, uh, you know, lichen on a rock, or a standing stone in Ireland, or whether it's an old fresco. I mean, those evidences of time are are moving. They mm -hmm. really are. Well, um, I, I think that we've covered a whole lot of ground. We've brought we've brought the listener from young Rebecca Kroll and her beat up Volkswagen <laughs> going going to to college to uh, to modern globe setting <laughs> uh, travel extraordinaire Rebecca Kroll. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ross, <laughs> and thanks for listening and. Um we hope you join us again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again. Uh, hopefully we'll be back soon.